Welcome to this podcast series about investing in emerging markets into the new decade. It's fair to say that the emerging market universe of today looks very different from that of the 1990s. And indeed, the various economies that make up emerging markets have come a long way. And their rapid development has been nothing short of astounding. In the first two episodes of this series, we discussed the outlook and trends for emerging markets. And we took a closer look at the growing wealth in the sector. In this third episode, we'll zoom in on digitalization in the region with Equity Investment Director Richard Carlisle of Capital Group. Richard, great to have you back. Uh, Nice to be back, Margie. Thank you for having me back. Well, Richard, great to have you. Uh, When I was doing some research for this interview, I found that according to BBVA research, the most digitalized countries in the world are Denmark, Hong Kong, Singapore, the United States and the Netherlands. And all of them have been experiencing positive economic growth for decades. What can you say about the advantages that come with digitalization in general? Well, I think we need to think of digitalization as part of sort of infrastructure growth. I think, you know, if you look back, you know, the development of of roads and railways and airports historically was one type of infrastructure, but uh, but digital infrastructure brings whole new benefits. I mean, it enables better communication. It enables people to use online banking rather than have to go into a physical bank. It enables online shopping. It enables online advertising. It eases communication. It aids education. I mean, it's just a fundamental need in a modern in a modern world, and that digitalization development, you know, has to be seen as the, the this generation of building roads, etc. I think that's how we would think of that. Right. Now, now, I already said it in the intro that the emerging markets of today look very different from those of the 1990s. Um, what have you seen happening, Richard, in emerging markets in these past years when it comes to their digital development? Well, in the last few years, obviously influenced by our our COVID experience, I think it's changed. It varies a lot country by country for a start. So, you know, for example, in China, you know, which was one of, obviously one of the first to suffer the COVID issues, you know, they have seen electronic payments increase significantly. I mean, Chinese digital wallets now account for 35% of, of transactions, not just online, but also in store. That's something like three times the global average. So that's a, that's a very rapid development. In Brazil, companies like PanSeguro, the payments provider, have offered point-of-sale terminals to retailers so that they can accept uh, electronic payments that they couldn't do before. That helps customers, uh, the convenience of paying with mobile phones, etc. So rapid developments. And we've also seen gaming. I know you're going to come on to this later, but we've also seen the growth of gaming. I mean, Tencent in China has become a huge uh, beneficiary of the growth of gaming and uh, their acquisition of companies like Riot Games that uh, make the League of Legends have become enormous businesses in lockdown. And uh, as, a, as a random example, the, the 2019 League of Legends World Championship attracted 100 million unique viewers around the world. Uh, what would you say, uh, Richard, which areas are emerging markets innovating in most? And, and also, how is that benefiting their economies? 
Well, if we pick a couple of examples, I mean, electronic payments, we talked about the China Chinese e-wallets. I mean, electronic payments is, is, is developing very rapidly. It benefits economies in many ways. Um, you know, there are simply replacing notes and coins and the, and the cost to any economy of securely transporting notes and coins, of filling up cash machines with, uh, with, with banknotes, etc. That is saved. There's also a significant tax uh, revenue angle from using electronic payments. If you remember a few years ago in India, they uh, outlawed some of the large denomination banknotes. That was an effort to get transactions out of the cash economy into the electronic economy so that uh, tax revenue in India could benefit from that. Uh, so, so, you know, there are many benefits. You know, gaming, the gaming industry effectively provides employment. It is moving creative, innovative people out of, say, the film industry, Hollywood and Bollywood, into, into creating games etc. So that's a fabulous uh, benefit to economies. And we haven't even mentioned sort of global multinationals like Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, you know, the, the biggest emerging markets company, you know, that their success has driven uh, the growth of the Taiwanese economy. It gives them a significant trade surplus. Uh, uh, so that's a beneficiary as well. I mean, e-commerce, uh, gaming and social media, you know, they all boost local technology companies, uh, but they do differ from their peers in, uh, in, the, in the developed markets. Mm. Now, emerging market companies within, indeed, e-commerce, gaming and social media have developed but also localized their technology uh, while at the same time accelerating their growth in ways that are different from their peers in developed markets. Could you tell me how they are different, Richard? Well, that's, uh, that, uh, the quick answer is they're more local. I mean, in, so we do, we do slightly a couple of country examples. In China, many of their local companies have been protected by, from international competition by the Chinese authorities. So, you know, uh, many of the Western uh, uh, internet companies are not allowed to operate in China, and that has given free reign for companies like Tencent to dominate in gaming, for companies like Alibaba to dominate in e-commerce and for companies like Metuan to dominate in food delivery. They are protected from, from uh, international competition, so they have flourished against that background. There are downsides of that because they're all also vulnerable, as we've seen recently, to, to, um, to Chinese government intervention in the way they operate, that Western com companies aren't. But uh, in China, that, that area has flourished um, given the protection they've had. In India, one of the most interesting opportunities is e-commerce penetration in the huge Indian market is low, but increasing quickly. You've got a combination of domestic competitors, and Flipkart is probably the best example, uh, thriving. They are being backed by Walmart, which is a big help to their uh, expansion plans. You've got um, Amazon very keen to grow in the enormous uh, Indian market, and you face different challenges there. I mean, for Amazon, you know, one of the biggest challenges is that simple distribution in India is much more difficult than in, say, the US, because the infrastructure is much less developed. But, you know, these are huge markets and uh, deep-pocketed competitors like Amazon will invest significant money to gain market share as they have in, in other areas. So it's a fascinating area for investors. Fascinating indeed. Uh, now, we already spoke in a previous podcast more about those digital payments and about e-commerce. So what I'd like to zoom in more today, and you mentioned it already, you referred to it, is the gaming industry as, as one of those examples of digitalization in emerging markets. So tell me, what, what do you see happening in that gaming industry? 
Well, it's a fascinating industry and it has already seen huge growth and it will no doubt continue to grow. I mean, so many factors have come together to enable the growth of gaming. You've got better connectivity, so the mobile phone system moving from 3G to 4G to 5G, given given better connectivity speeds. You've got faster broadband. You've got benefits from uh, technology. So Sony's moved from the PlayStation 1 to the 2 to the 3 to the 4, and if you can get it to the PlayStation 5, so that has added tremendous computing power. Mobile phones, thanks to TSMC's chips, now have absolutely fabulous computing power. And if you think of sort of a gaming experience versus a feature film, so as I say, the Hollywood or Bollywood created films, the experience is much more immersive um, and large franchises are being created. I mean, uh, the only game I play, I will admit, is Call of Duty. You need to do it, call it COD, Elshaw described as a granddad by your daughters. But that (laughs) franchise was released in 2003. That was the first Call of Duty release. And since then, it sold 400 million copies. It is the world's best-selling first-person shooter. That's a hugely valuable franchise. I mean, who knows whether that franchise is worth more than, say, the James Bond franchise. But that is um, that is consistent. Every new release gets massive sales. You can do in-app purchases, so you can buy a bigger virtual gun, etc. So, you know, these are huge businesses for the gaming companies and uh, and great entertainment for uh, for many people. So. Mm. And, and and do you then say, Richard, that most people do play on their phones or do would you say that the larger part is still people using? There's been a trend. Originally, you know, it was the, the mobile devices, the Nintendos, the Playstations that dominated. Yep. But as mobile phones have become more powerful and 2G moved to 3G, etc., more and more of it can be done on phones. Hardcore gamers still seem to prefer the uh, the, 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 the the PlayStation or the, the Xbox, yeah. but, um, but the masses um, use uh, their phones, which are, of course, already connected up to e-commerce to allow them to make to make purchases. So it's a fabulous business model. So. Exactly. Easy does it. Um, could, could you maybe give us an example of a dominant player in, in the global gaming market that comes from an emerging market? Well, so the very obvious example is Tencent. I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, although it's, it's it's had its challenges this year, even after a sort of forty percent share price price decline, it's still an enormous company, six hundred billion dollars market cap, uh, approximately. As I said, protected from non Chinese uh, competition, it's grown its domestic gaming business dramatically. I mean, it is even though it's largely within uh, China, arguably the world's largest video game vendor, and you know some of their investments have been fabulous. I mean, uh, many people have heard of the game. Fortnite, that's produced by Epic. Uh, that has generated that that one game alone has generated nine billion dollars of revenue for Epic up until the end of 2019. So more recently, and Tencent bought 40 percent of that company back in 2013 for only 300 million dollars. So these have been fabulous investments, and Tencent has certainly capitalised on uh, on the growth of gaming, which was in turn turbocharged, if you like, by uh, by uh, uh, by COVID and lockdown. Hmm. Now, as as fun as gaming may be, um, I I have to say, um, to be honest, I don't know because I'm not a gamer, but (laughs) online gaming also triggers uh, a downside, which would be addiction, maybe among young internet users and students. 
Um, is anything being done about that in, in the emerging market space? Well, yes. I mean, as I said, I mean, yes, China protects Tencent from foreign competitors. But on the other side, it has shown considerable concern for the welfare, particularly of teenagers. So, you know, the rules around how many hours Tencent can allow teenagers to play online gaming has been controlled. I'm not an expert, but I think if you're under 16 in China, you're now limited to an hour a week. I'm sure clever Chinese teenagers can get around that by using various ways but that's the official rule our mm. our sense is that though that, that a lot of the gaming market is played by people older than the teenagers and uh, we we noticed that the late, latest league of legends game um, which had a hundred million people pre-register for it had 37 million downloads on the first day so there's no evidence that this crackdown is 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 damaging the broader gaming market but the chinese authorities are certainly um, uh, protecting uh, teenagers from playing what they decide is too much gaming. So so that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Um, another digital trend uh, I'd like to talk about today is social media. Uh, social networking websites uh, such as Facebook and Twitter um, provide tremendous growth opportunities for businesses. Uh, what are the challenges to the adoption of social media in emerging markets, Richard? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right. Globally, whether it be uh, developed markets or emerging markets, social media has revolutionized communication and advertising uh, globally. You know, the speed with which advertising revenue has moved from traditional uh, newspapers, magazines, posters, etc. to social media has been astonishing. And a a very small number of social media companies have gathered that uh, advertising revenue. You know, many reasons. One is that people are spending much more time on social media media. So if you want to to reach people, you need to access it. But also don't forget, social media allows very narrow targeting. My silly example is a few years ago, I bought a drone, one of those things that flies around taking videos. I put a drone video on Instagram, and within minutes, I'm getting advertising to allow me to buy spare batteries, etc. from drone manufacturers. But if you are a drone manufacturer, where do you go to advertise to people and, and, and has a narrow market? A, a, a poster by the side of the road is simply not efficient. So so they do offer the advertisers very, very, very narrow marketing. It is very targeted indeed, right? You can sometimes you look on a website and the next <laughs> next moment you get all these commercials coming through your socials. It's uh, scary. It's, it's yeah. scary. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I find it scary at times. Um, how are emerging markets localizing their social media? And maybe you can give us an example of what they're doing, uh, Richard. Well, with one or two notable exceptions, probably China and Russia are those. You know, I'm afraid social media in, in emerging markets is dominated by the normal companies. I mean, if you look at India, the big four are Facebook, Instagram, owned by Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn, owned by Microsoft. In Brazil, it's Facebook, Pinterest uh, and Twitter. Indonesia, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. So the, 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 the normal companies are dominating. But of course, in a way, social media can be localized. If you are mm-hmm. a Facebook user in India and you follow your friends who are, are in India, then it's effectively localized. If you if you post your uh, uh, pictures and stories on Instagram to local friends, it is effectively localized. And I think that's been one of the advantages of, of these um, multinationals is that they can localize content at, at, at low, low expense. There are the odd local social media companies, a few in, in India, but they do struggle to make progress against the huge installed base that the traditional Facebooks and Twitters have, etc. So it has become, again, with, with the odd exception like China and Russia, dominated by uh, by Western companies. Right. 
Um, now let, let's see how all of this that we just spoke about um, turns into an investment opportunity, potentially. Um, what would you recommend, Richard, to investors when it comes to integrating that digitalization trend into their portfolios? H- how can they benefit from all this? Well, without wanting to talk our own book, I mean, I think, you know, digitalization affects many industries. I mean, we focus today on the companies that benefit from it, but let's not forget there are companies that lose out because of digitalization. I mean, newspaper companies, maybe TV companies that that, that use advertising revenue. So, in our sense is that, you know, any sort of fundamental analysis of the emerging market equity universe in particular needs a strong awareness of digitization and you need to work out which are the long-term winners and which are the long-term losers. And I think, you know, relative returns can be helped as much by avoiding companies that lose out from digitization as investing in those companies that that benefit. So our answer is sort of well-resourced, bottom-up fundamental research, visiting the companies on the ground, understanding the industries and understanding how they will develop in the next next decades, etc. So Richard, we're already at the end of this uh, interview. Uh, Maybe as a final question, and I know you probably find it difficult to to be fully straightforward on this, but uh, where currently are the best opportunities in emerging markets for investors? What would you say? Well, thanks for that question, Margie. I think we think that, you know, broad emerging market equity funds are the, the, the most sensible way to go. I mean, there are available narrow industry funds, but industries can have quite volatile ups and downs. So we tend to prefer a broad approach to emerging market, bottom up fundamental research. We would say this is one area where index investing, you know, you are, don't forget, investing in quite a concentrated universe. Three countries make up more than half the EM index, and it's very technology. Biased, so you're getting much more concentration than you would with a, uh, a, a developed market portfolio. But that's so our approach in you know thinking of the risks and returns is broad, bottom-up fundamental research, global emerging market equity funds. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time today, Richard, and I look forward to speaking to you next time. Thank you very much, Margie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to a podcast on investing in emerging markets into the new decade. I would like to thank today's guest, Richard Carlyle, Equity Investment Director at Capital Group, for his time and his insights. This podcast is offered to you by Capital Group. And if you'd like to know more about investing in emerging markets, please visit the Capital Group website, capitalgroup.com-nl. And for more podcasts, please visit the Fonts News website, fondsnews.nl forward slash podcast. This podcast has been recorded in October 2021 and the information presented is for illustrative purposes only. While Capital Group uses reasonable efforts to obtain information from third-party sources which it believes to be reliable, Capital Group makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, reliability or completeness of the information. Any opinion, estimate or forecast is subject to change. This communication is of a general nature and not intended to provide investment advice, or to be a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Statements attributed to an individual represent the opinions of that individual and may not necessarily reflect the view of Capital Group or its affiliates. Emerging markets are volatile and may suffer from liquidity problems.